Sports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa. And with me today, I have Ronnie Tullis and Jean Marie Richardson from iFolio. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey. thank you for having us. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Jean Marie is the CEO of iFolio, and Ronnie is the digital transformation manager. Ronnie, what does a digital transformation manager mean? Basically, we had a meeting. I first started, um, it's a sales role, and we were like, uh, Ronnie, it'll probably work better with connecting with people if you put manager instead of account exec. So, mm-hmm. boom, there it is. Um, so, but basically, what my job is is to find decision makers who could leverage our platform and um, talk about how we can make work easier for them. That's awesome. Jean Marie, as a CEO of iFolio, can you give just like a broad overview? I know. A lot of my listeners know that I that I lead strategy at the Game Hers. My folio is a is a phenomenal partner um, of ours at the Game Hers, but I don't I don't necessarily manage that relationship. Rebecca Dixon, our CEO, does. I'd, I'd love for you just to give kind of an overview of what is iFolio and and how is it relevant to the esports ecosystem. Sure. So iFolio is an integrated digital marketing platform, and. The way that we are really relevant for the esports and the gaming ecosystem is that we find that the future is built and revolves around creatives. And so a lot of our users, a lot of those who create content in our platform actually game in their spare time. That's what they find relaxing. That's what they find refreshing. That's where they get their inspiration And so we started to connect and build out a community that was a community of creatives who during the day are working, creating, and we tried to help make that work easier. But in their off time, and sometimes even their on time, they are gaming. And many of them do a lot of different things, but it's been really exciting to grow grow this community. Awesome. I love that. What are the types of, of tools that you guys are, are creating that you're, that you're seeing leveraged out there in the space? Yeah. So a huge focus right now is digital presence. iVolio makes it easy to build pages like website pages. And sometimes those are added to a corporate website or sometimes they stand alone. So for instance, a page about a person or a page about a service or a product, what always happens with companies, especially as they're growing any size is they have to build out their content for their digital presence. And actually I was listening to a report from Walmart you know, and even they had a focus on building digital presence. And so Evolio enables you to do this quickly and easily without having to code a website. There's also some really neat services that we enable around campaigns, around text message. What's your what's your favorite service? Um, what I like the most is being able to because we're we're talking about an industry that's very high tech. We talk about getting content creators, whether it is students trying to well, students going pro is a little late. I've learned yeah. in this world, but people yeah. going pro and they have to highlight highlight themselves. And a mm-hmm. static sheet of paper isn't the best way to do that in the mobile world. So we were we figured out how do people market themselves in the mobile world, and we've been able to do that. By embedding people's Twitch channels, you know, put their avatar in there, you know, and actually show video and some of their content that they're actually creating to show exactly what they're doing in the space to help them put them in some of the positions to get some of the jobs or to help them stand out amongst all the other noise within the space. So that's been my favorite is helping, you know, um, those even podcasts, even podcasts, even podcasts, Um, kind of like a digital highlight reel, right? Mm-hmm. And then where does that live? Does it live on your website? Is it downloadable that they share? Is it a hyperlink? Or, or does it vary depending on what the person is looking to deliver to a potential client? 
Yeah. So it lives in the cloud and the link can be, they can personalize the link to make it their own. They can also, if they need to have like a private link, they can password protect it. These are kind of edge cases. We've even had companies like the Falcons have a falcons.nfl.com URL that is actually powered by a Folio platform to edit the content, but the URL is is pointed to a different. Got different. it. So it's all sorts of things. So um, did you start in traditional sports or on the corporate side or how did iFolio kind of come to fruition? Yeah. Well, iFolio, actually the whole journey to iFolio started when I was a student. I love the overlay that we have right now with, with stories of students because it's near and dear to my heart. So when I was a student, um, I, you mentioned homeschool. I was homeschooled for eight years. And when it came time to apply to college, I realized I needed to find a way to tell my story to stand out to someone who potentially 10 or 12 people who'd be looking at my application that I'd never get the chance to meet. And I was just, I didn't want to be lost in the sea of papers. Yeah. And so that was my first time of putting together what I call a portfolio, but it was a visual story. Thankfully, I'm really grateful. I got a scholarship. I went to Georgia Tech. I learned all about technology. And then I started to realize when I was at Georgia Tech, I worked a lot with students who were applying to college. And I started to realize how important it is to learn how to tell your story. It's not easy. None of us just wake up knowing how to do this. And even, even focusing on it, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then when you have the assets, some of the people who have the most assets out there the assets are all over the place. So even then curating that story is, is very difficult to do. And so I went into the corporate world. I worked for Oracle and I started to see this demand from sales guys. I was a product manager. So the sales guys were always telling marketing, I got to have this awesome presentation yesterday. I'm going in for this killer pitch competing with, you know, Microsoft. And there would be this huge load to create this custom Prezzo, if you will. And yeah. the Prezzo would be ready after the pitch meeting because it was it required coding. And I kept seeing this pain of why can't it be easier to build and, and publish web-level content that can be both a presentation or a link, and then it's real-time, it can be changed, edited easily. I love um, that. So that was sort of the, the problem. I worked on it, I will say, I worked on it way longer than I probably should have before I jumped all in. So that's on me. That's if I, if whenever people ask if there's something you could have done differently, I, I worked on it for like five years, you know, just researching, you know, what else? I, I was actually hoping to find the solution. I didn't really, I, I wasn't hoping to build it myself. <laughs> well, I mean, that's being a gap finder. Like I'm a gap finder, right? And I think one of the coolest things about founders is, you see something that's missing in the space or you recognize there's something missing in the space and you're searching for it. And if it's not there, if you have the, the, the guts to go ahead and lean in and build that. And, and, you know, I would just say you probably felt like you should have started sooner, but the world might not have been ready for you. Like I had a vision within the esports ecosystem four and a half years ago and kind of, was struggling to make it become a reality in terms of what I felt like my background was able to provide to the industry as a whole. The world wasn't quite ready for that, right? So I, I did spend a couple of years working in kind of my old model while giving myself and pouring myself into esports where nobody was paying me to do so, right? I was just like, oh, I'm just going to be a thought leader. I'm going to share information. I'm going to, you know, put myself out there and become known in the space and make strategic connections and start talking to people because I knew that that there would be a time in which the esports industry and brands when I first started getting into esports and I was like subscribing to some of these esports newsletters, like Synopsis Esports, maybe once a week there would be like a brand deal that was announced, right? And now it's like different ones every single day. Like it's constant. So when that when that influx comes in, who is going to be able to inform those brands on a sound strategy to get their brand effectively into the esports and gaming ecosystem? how can I develop sub subject matter expertise and fill the gap? You did the exact same thing. Like you saw there was a gap, you couldn't find the solution. And I think if you would have just 
jumped in maybe five years prior when you saw there was a need, if the world wasn't ready for it, like what if that would have made you feel like it wasn't the solution and we went off and did something else, right? So true. I mean, timing is such a, a, such a special thing, you know, but I love how you were, I was working on finding this tech that could help with telling a story. You were learning how to tell the story of an emerging space. Yeah. And before it was even just while it was even being birthed, if you will, like while it was starting to take off. And now, I mean, we talk about this uh, a lot, like we'll mention our sports clients because just people have heard of them. Right. And, but now we see the gaming space is taking over the NFL very, very soon. Oh, yeah. Demand is just surging. And so it's, it's so exciting. It's all about, I think, leaning into innovation and where not only where technology is going in terms of technological advancements and opportunities, it has more to do with really seeing that next generation of, of, of individuals on this planet as the thought leaders of our entire world and listening and learning from them. I learn more from my kids at this point than they learn from me. They're, they're 15 and 21 and they're extremely confident, bright entrepreneurs in their own rights. And I, I listen to their point of view because they were born digital. I wasn't like, I, I mean, I had a pager when I was in college. Like, <laughs> oh my God. It was, totally- it was purple and it was clear. And like, I, sometimes I look at photos, like there's literally a picture from my uncle's wedding and I'm wearing this stupid pager. It's like in his wedding pictures. <laughs> and, I mean, they were so big too. They were like, oh. They were like these, so like, like lifting weights. But can so, you imagine no. you know, text message? Like I can't even imagine. No Slack. I'll tell two way. Like the two way. Yeah, I remember yeah. the two way uh, page. <laughs> I, I you don't know what you don't know. And growing up in an in in a culture in which did not have, if you wanted an answer for something, you had to go to the library to get the answer, oh, and you yeah. had to find the right book. Right? It was the. I grew up in, in like a generation of bullshitters and a lot of bullshitters. I'm just going to tell you what I think is an, I'm just going to confidently tell you a thing and go ahead, drive to the library and fact check me. Right. Like (laughs) I literally thought my brother was like the funniest person on the planet growing up. He's uh, almost seven years older than me. He would say the funniest things, like literally the funniest things. And I was enamored with how funny my brother was. I thought he was like literally the, the, the most innovatively funny human being ever. And then I, got older and watched, I watched, uh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy delirious. And I was like, that, that jerk stole all yeah, every joke. <laughs> but, but I didn't have access to that content. Yeah. I, up, I didn't have access. You now you can't on. bullshit people like you can <laughs> because we have access at our fingertips on our phones, on our, on, on any smart device we have to filter out people who are full of crap, right? But I grew up in a generation of people who just said, they just stole everything. Like they just yeah. stole content, they stole ideas, they stole jokes like my brother did. And and now we're like in a totally different world where it's like, we have to learn from the younger generation because they never grew up in that type of a, of a system. They, yeah. like, they are going to look for the facts. They're not going to take people at their word. They're going to fact check. They were born digital. They're thought leaders. My, my son is 15 and he's buying and, and fixing up and flipping cars. And he's been doing that since he was 13. And now he just bought his seventh vehicle. He's been learning how to fix them on YouTube and having conversations with people in discord and on Reddit. And like, I, I can't even imagine the access of information these young people have, but yeah. then they're taking it and they're putting that power in their fingertips and they're figuring out how do they, how do they market? So I love that you guys have created a platform in which young people, because if you look at esports, I can't, I, I came from traditional sports, but like, this is very much an esports focused conversation. You, you take a look at some of these pro content creators and even rocket league pro gamers at 16 years old right? They're still in high school. 
And they, they have to manage their own brand, their own entity, their personal brand story. What unique value propositions do they bring to the table? What, what natural organic brand affinities do they have? How do they position that in a way in which whether they're, you know, traded to this team or, you know, maybe they're not, maybe they're released from a team and they're not signed and they're back in like a, a challengers type circuit. How do they continue to put that best foot forward in a way that is all digital because they were born all digital? So, yeah, I think something that's also interesting is real time, the value of real time. I remember thinking, wouldn't it be so great if we had something we could change in real time if you need Mm -hmm. to edit it? And now everybody lives in real time so much that how often do we slow down and say, okay, the iFolio that was posted three months ago is fine. That story is fine. I don't have to get, you know, as long as we have things embedded that that keep up with us, like the socials and the different channels that mm-hmm. they keep telling, you know, the content that you're continuing to feed, the element of constantly needing, you know, now having access to so many real-time channels to both interact and to market, at what point is a story is it finished ever? Right. No, it's, well, it's always evolving. And I will just say from like a, somebody who, who not only works in partnerships, but informs other individuals on sound partnerships. I think one of the biggest hangups is who's going to be responsible in these master decks, whether they're Google slides or PowerPoint or whatever format that they're in, who's going to be responsible for constantly churning the data to ensure that it's the most relevant and then customizing which slides or you know portions of a presentation a partner is going to see based on that partner relevancy. Social media stats should always be climbing. I mean, my goodness, they better not be declining. And in esports, we're seeing massive growth. And with platforms like TikTok coming and Zepetto coming, how do you continually grow those numbers and reflect the growth of those numbers actually more accurately. And then in, in the esports ecosystem, there's trades happening. It, it's very different in terms of the cadence than a traditional sport. So a trade can kind of happen anytime. So how can you make sure that you have all of the most relevant data on your content creators and then aggregating all of those numbers and you know having a digital solution allows for a delivery and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it allows for you to deliver an overview to a potential partner. And if there's an immediate change, you don't have to resave out a new PDF and email it to the client. The next time they open the link, it's going to be the most up-to-date relevant info, right? Right. It can be live. It's live as soon as they click on it and it, you know, it refreshes. It is interesting though. I think like at, for our own team, like at Team iFolio, the people who most often control the delivery are the creative team. And I think the creative team is, you know, it used to be like when I was working at the tech companies, you know, the sales team was, oh my gosh, they're paid the most. They're the, you know, they do the flashiest things. And and now there's a whole new definition of cool. And it's, you know, JM may have some new stats, but she sure doesn't want to, even though it's easy to update it, she would rather have the creative team be the ones because they've, they have created this masterpiece and it's artistry. And, um, and so it's interesting how it evolves for people, the ability to create their own brand, but how we're seeing even companies find better ways to create their own stories and market themselves in ways that are accepted by the people who are creative. Yeah. And even switching from creatives to biz dev, you know, it's a way, because like you said, to your point, businesses are always churning, right? So if, um, you have a, a proposition that you gave the Twix and Starburst, Starburst bikes, you want to let Twitch know, hey, this is off the table. Here's what yep. else is available. And you can yep. update that presentation in real time. And also to remove yourself, I've seen a lot of pitch decks. Um, and this is no offense to anybody, but it's hard to look through a 36-page <sighs> static pitch deck with just pictures. 
It is yes. tough. You see the number at the bottom and then you're like, ah, I got to get through this. I've got 54 to go. Versus having something that's digital that you can engage people in different ways. You can add a video. Um, you can scroll, you know, um, and then the content isn't all in your face. We do a good way of allowing consumers to digest the content um, at their leisure with flipping panes and a few other scrolling um, yeah. assets as well. So really just taking all of your assets and modernizing it. Just giving you an upgrade like Beyonce says so <laughs> I love that that's awesome Ronnie um so what what um when what year was iFolio created 2016 and get this uh April was our birthday month so Yay. my birthday month April was the month that I left like I actually had a desk and air conditioning and I was getting a paycheck you know that type of job <laughs> and I went, I, I'll never forget it, but I went all in at that point. I had the, the, the big thing for me was getting the, the trademark on the name iFolio. I love the name. I, I just, I think it's so, so cool. And so that was kind of the kick that I needed to go all in. And so I went all in, which was basically back to my basement in Atlanta, Georgia, right before the hottest summer that we've you know had in forever. And um, I'll never forget that, that like May through December uh, cranking with, um, with my developers. And it was a really special time, but we've come a long way. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I um, have always kind of leaned into taking big leaps and like big risk, which is totally scary. It's just like, it's in my DNA. I'm always a, what if, what if I wouldn't have like fear complacency? I wrote that on a index card once when I had a job where I was like sitting in a cubicle and I like stuck it on the, the wall in the cubicle. Like, I don't want to be complacent. I was working with people who had been within that organization for close to 20 years that yeah. just were like, you know, churning through life and, and lost that, like that spark of life in their eyes. And I tell this story a lot. And I think I even wrote an article on my LinkedIn page. There's an article about it, about my, about what I learned from my dad. I think sometimes you learn things from your parents on very inspirational if you want to model them. And then you learn other things on like a cautionary tale. I, I wrote this article on LinkedIn. That's quite short, but it was just about like, my dad lived for the weekends. He hated his job. And when he came home during the week, I kind of started to avoid him because if I asked him about his day, it was always quite negative. He would say long and tiring, like he just very Eeyore-esque, right? <laughs> he, hated his, he hated his work life and um, he worked to collect a paycheck and he lived paycheck to paycheck. And I did not have a very, I didn't have a very, you know, wonderful childhood in terms of feeling safe and secure and well-fed, right? Like I, I, we really, really, really struggled growing up. And, um, but my dad on the weekends was my best friend. Like I could, I could get emotional talking about how much I loved being with my dad on the weekends. He, he loved the outdoors. He was a volunteer forest ranger. He took me on so many adventures. He was just so well-versed in everything that had to do with nature. We grew up adjacent to a 57,000 acre wildlife preserve. And we spent so much time in the woods and he taught me to hunt and fish. We canoed like we had just a, a beautiful weekend, every weekend of my, of my life. And I think about what drives me in my career, what drives me in taking risks on innovation and leaning into where I think the future is going and what puts a fire in my belly really stems from the fact that my father, who was one of the most dynamic personalities and most wonderful men I ever knew only lived two days a week. And when you really take a look at somebody who, you know, died of cancer at 64 and, and you do the math on um, your entire adulthood, only living two out of seven days a week, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of wasted years just churning through a paycheck to paycheck existence. And I, I completely commend you on taking a big risk because I really believe that we're where real happiness and purpose is found is listening to the dream that you kind of have inside of you and, and doing things. And I don't say doing things unafraid because it is scary. I like to do things afraid. So just do it afraid and trust the process and give absolutely everything that you have to building out that vision that you have. And that's unique to you 
you get a lot of no's and a lot of people looking at you like they don't agree, but you know what? They're not for you. Those aren't your people. And just keep going and moving on to the people who, when you speak to them, your vision, they get it or they're willing to, to learn more about it. And I think that's what makes a really successful entrepreneur is, is that passion and taking those risks. Well, and also realizing that like every day we get the chance to have another adventure, which even, even the bad adventures are interesting. Like there, there's never a dull moment. Like there's like, we have highs and lows. Like we, we go really, really hard after some, some big projects and sometimes we get them, sometimes we don't get them. And we are never happy to not get a project. Like there, I don't think there's ever a time where we're just, okay, well, we'll just hit the next one. It's like, there's this passion of caring about it. Every single time we get better. Like, I think everything that we do it is sharpening us and it's, um, and it's interesting and fun in the process. It's fun for, fun for me, but, yeah. but I also dream about it, which is crazy. I told Hap, um, two nights ago, I was like, I had a dream. I was reviewing the first time user experience. <laughs> and he's like, you had a nightmare. I was like, no, I love that. He's like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? I was like the first time user experience, you know, when you come in the first time you experience it, how do you know what to do? He's like, tell me again how this isn't a nightmare. I'm like, it's not a nightmare. That's it's funny you say dream. that. I actually have dreams of my deals turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I have, I have those dreams. I'm, a, I'm like, a, I'm a very, I visualize things in an extremely, I, I mean, I can literally see ex- every single granular detail visually in my mind of a project being executed, especially like in real life um, executions, I can, I can literally picture it down to every granular detail in my brain if I can wrap my head around it, which is why I'm probably good at interviewing people because I ask a lot of questions so I can like fully understand and then I'm going to be able to create an action plan or be able to ideate you know, a production or whatever around it. But there are so many nights where I will wake up at like two or three in the morning where I've been trying to get to that point where I'm like noodling in my head the right solution or the right solve. And I'll wake up at two or three in the morning and it's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the Holy Spirit all in my brain in like a microsecond, but all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I can see the entire way this thing's going to work. And I have to like, in my, my nightstand has a notepad and a pen and I will literally start sketching things out and writing things out and trying to get everything I can in you know, in my mind on the paper. So I don't lose yeah. the thought. There's yeah. just something about being like a, a visual thinker. And, and a lot of it comes through my dreams. And sometimes I wake up and I'm like, did that happen? Did it not happen? Did I dream that? Did I have that conversation? Like, there's just something really powerful about, about the way that, you know, people who are, you know, uh, ideators think and, and how that comes to fruition. And how it comes to you in your rest sometimes. I had a a mentor um, tell me at one point that exactly what you just said. He said, make sure you have a a little notepad next to your bed when you go to sleep. You'll have ideas. You'll wake up. You'll think you'll remember them. And then later you won't remember them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of power in thinking through things in a a different lens. I know you were talking about being homeschooled and, um, I'm homeschooling my son who he, there's, there's teachers. Like I'm not fully doing it myself, but when COVID happened, we went all digital. We made a decision. We had an opportunity to go back in a public school, which was very flux and, and not super or organized, not to their fault. Like who could have prepared for that? But I was sick for a month. My son was sick for the entire month of February. And then spring break happened and he's never been back to an actual school other than clearing out a locker. But it's interesting because I've I've really tapped into, which I think there's something about homeschooled kids that have an entrepreneurial spirit because they're learning differently. I've really been able to help tap into a totally different mindset in my son where he's thinking about the world differently and he's luckily able to travel with me. He got to go down to Dallas um, yeah. with me recently, got to work out of Envy Gaming's offices. and, and Their offices are so amazing. Beautiful. I got the chance to visit. Um, with yeah. And I mean, and I think that would be so inspiring to. Yeah. He worked majors, Call of Duty majors too. He worked wow. um, all four days. 
and was able to, you know, meet with people and connect and, and talk to even some innovators in the space. And if he was in a traditional school setting, he wouldn't have these opportunities. So it's, I, I, I never would have in a million years thought that, you know, pre-COVID that I would do this with my child. I just really thought he should just be in a school setting and that's what you do. And that's how you make friends. Gaming and esports, the connectivity within that space, he has been able through discord and gaming, meet people that it kind of mirrors. He's also a skateboarder. It mirrors that world where he has friends who are eight years old he games with and friends that are 48 years old that he games with. And same with at the skate park, he's skating with kids and he's skating with like grown men. I had a guy like reach out to me on Instagram. Who's like my age say, Oh, I didn't realize that Roman was your son. We skate together at the skate park. Like it just dawned on him why we were connected on social was through my kid, but it builds a sense of connectivity and community that transcends traditional boundaries and barriers. And I think we're going to see, especially with the metaverse, more and more of that coming to fruition. And obviously I want to keep my son safe and I want to make sure that, you know, being a minor, that he's well protected and gated but I also want to allow him autonomy and the ability to forge relationships and, and use discernment and come to me when he needs it. And uh, I, I would just love to hear about how you guys um, got into the esports space, because that is, that is like the, that demographic, right? It's, it's kids like Roman. Um, when did you, lean into esports and start building tangible strategy around reaching that consumer set. I'll take that. I actually, before I got here, um, I worked with the Atlanta Falcons. I worked for five or six seasons, went to the 28 to three Super Bowl. No, I won't talk about that because I'll cry, but I had a lot of experiences at the stadium um, in 2018. Not sure how familiar with selling season tickets you are. You know, your success is probably going to peak at which how good that team is. Mm-hmm. Went to a Super Bowl in 2016, 2017, we were and 2018, we were and, and then it was just a trending seasons of and. So uh, we actually, um, our folio on board um, as our sales tool, and in two years, I um, generated about two to three million dollars using that as my primary sales tool. Ronnie, you're the case um, study. So we saw, literally. I saw Ronnie on the global leaderboard, and I was like, "Who is this guy on the Falcons account that is killing it with you know with his usage?" So that was cool. So we threw. Um, this is a little bit of introduction. Then I'll get into how I got into esport. But you know, there was a party 2020 November. That was the Apolio birthday. You Christmas, were celebrating Christmas. Christmas sorry, it was we in November. Um, but it was disguised as a recruitment party. I later found out. <laughs> um, and a few months later, I decided to come on. Um, honestly and truthfully, the transition from um, sport was tough. Um, I was doing more B2C. Um, in sport and at one point in time really just taking orders because the team was good going to into a b2b sale where there's more nurturing you're basically eating what you kill um and then it's like our product does so much and i had a hard time at first figuring out who you know sports it was kind of you know sports people are interesting i won't get into too much into that but i was figuring out what would be my next opportunity that i could really get into um and then i've been a lifelong gamer so from you know the pokemon on game boy um advance like that used to be my jam to nintendo i've always had a gaming system growing up so i played traditional sports but when i wasn't doing that i was on the way getting out of my traditional sport i was playing i was gaming at the time i've never done esports like um participated in any tournaments anything but Mm. game like literally when i leave home today downtime send some emails and i'm getting on the game (laughs) i was like wow you know this is an industry that's growing so last year around this time is when i really started looking into we already had the game hurts partnership but for myself I mean, um, we had the Rangers, the Knicks, the, we mm-hmm. had some some big Atlanta United. He brought on board Atlanta United. So I feel like we kept momentum with pro- regular professional sports. But then 
gamers, Playfly, Wiggy. Wiggy. I mean, we love Wiggy because of female, the female aspect. Yeah, I, I like um, um, taking the underdog, like situations, the people, the biopic, LGBTQ, you know, the people that are considered the underdog in the space and what can we do? I like, at least I like outreaching to these companies. How can we highlight these people yes. to make the playing field level? Um, so I have a lot of good conversations with Ryan at Community. He's one of the guys I play basketball with in the morning. Um, he gives me, I saw him yesterday and he really gave me a whole strategy like, wow, this is really how it's going to build in five to seven years, right? So um, I'm constantly thinking like, who are the people in this space who, um, and even helping some of the Allie, big guys. Um, Allie, at, at, I got to <laughs> shout out Allie. Um, so, and Danny from Eastbrook. We were listening. Yes, to I love Danny. Podcast. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. We this afternoon we were listening to it. So, guys, if you're listening now, make sure you catch the one that Danny's on. It's it's one of the ones before ours, but it's a really cool one too. So yeah, so that's how we got in, and that's kind of you know um, how I'm I'm strategizing um, at this point in present. I I got really pulled in. It's less interesting, so I don't want to take anything away from this story. But I, I'm a I'm a geek, so. I, um, the first thing that I'm doing in the morning is, uh, is with my developers. And so my developers kind of pulled me into it. Like I was, you know, I was asking them, I'm always very, very interesting because in my world, the developers are the superheroes as well as the business developers. (laughs) But I mean, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I work very tightly with them. So I'm looking at Bitbucket. I'm looking at the latest commit. And I actually help to test features before we take them to market. And they are, I mean, they are big in two things that they are super excited about. They're super excited about crypto and mm-hmm. NFTs and that whole world. And they've taught me so much. You wouldn't believe this. I have a finance wallet. Like, I mean, I just, uh, just kind of cool. Um, and then they, um, they love gaming. And, they, and what was interesting for me to see was how they followed other gamers so they they know all about skunk. skunk yeah. I mean, and <laughs> so skunk. we we did this gamer card, which is like the digital version of a baseball card. But what's so cool is it our iFolio can embed Twitch in really high stream content. So um, we did one for the skunk card, and it was just hugely popular with with my developers. And that's what kind of drew me into thinking about what are ways to market, ways to innovate marketing, especially for this emerging sport that has to do with, from the geeky perspective, handling high content that not everybody can handle. Right. And that was something that... And then to go back to your point, um, with me being an athlete, I understand the impact and the value of the interpersonal skills that are developed within traditional, within esport, or, you know, just learning how big the world is, you know, um, you know, because I have friends that are all, I have one of my friends I went to college with, he's in Germany. So we'll get online and he's talking about what's in Germany. So it opens up your world to new experiences, to new people, things that aren't necessarily just going to be taught in the household. So I understand the importance. Um, and that's what else drew me to it. It's, it's, yeah, like this is how you're going to get, yeah. And this is how you get the most out of kids is by understanding like what moves them artistically Uh um, and then building around that so that you, you have their attention you know what they like and now they're open-minded to learning concepts that are even uncomfortable based on you know the concept that we're talking about so even with basketball like I I grew up playing the game and I learned a lot about just the world outside of basketball in a gym because um he had my intention this is what I love but it's like hey Ronnie this is how this relates to business this is how this relates to school so I love that because this is a way to impact more kids around the world and more people around the world through gaming. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I have a basketball hoop in our office. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I I was extremely blessed to have been able to sit down in in Beverly Hills and and have a really great conversation with Magic Johnson maybe five years ago. Adults. One of the things that he, he shared with me and my, my client at the time who played in the WNBA, who we went and met with him, he talked a lot about viability. One of the big things that he attributes his success to is understanding that 
he was in proximity to really great business people while he was playing basketball. Mm. So he had this epiphany, basically, that the people who were sitting courtside watching him play, there were many great NBA players who had come before him that couldn't afford to even sit in those seats anymore, right? And so he wanted to learn what were those men in suits and ties sitting courtside doing that allowed them the luxury of having courtside Lakers tickets game after game for a season. Cause that's, that's a, that's a high market value, right? Cause you, oh, you sure. talk about being at the Falcons at a, at a, at a, at a, at a moment in time, right. Where it's, it's a, there's a barrier to entry in there. You, now you're just answering the phone for season ticket holders. Right. So he started learning about these brokers, these investors and made it's about being deliberate, intentional, and purposeful. How can you be intentional, deliberate, and purposeful in in taking ownership of your trajectory of your career while you're viable? And I'm and and most pro athletes, because I came from the NBA, most pro athletes don't have that realization until they're out mm-hmm. of the industry. And then it's a little bit too late because they're no longer viable, right? They're not, they're, they're not a product on the court. When you're a product on the court, you have some pretty massive viability and anybody is going to take a meeting with you, right? Because even if they don't have something personally to gain as like maybe a CEO of a banking company or something, just bringing you through the office is going to create an office morale that's going to oh, make yeah. you a hero of your company, right? Within the esports ecosystem, I feel like these young people are a little bit more aware And there's the ability to get them to take ownership of their personal brands at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. And I think they get it quicker because they were born in a different time. Right. And, and so like you, Ronnie, I draw a lot of knowledge and inform a lot of the way that I present myself and and help others understand the esports ecosystem based on a deep understanding of a traditional sports ecosystem and and esports is nuanced because it's not quite traditional sports it's a little bit leans a little bit heavier on the entertainment side um big personalities and entertainment value but one of the things i hear the most from brands and i'm curious if you guys hear this as well is brands will say They just want to reach that next generation of consumers. They want to reach Gen Z. But when you bring them esports as a potential navigator solution to getting in front of that audience, because we know that's where they already are, they're hesitant to move because they don't really know how to relate. Do you guys hear that at iFolio? I mean... I think that's been the paradox of brands ever innovating because they're so powerful that it's hard for them to ever see a way of doing things outside of brick and mortar or signs or eyeballs on a sign at a stadium. But I think the way and the answer to that is showing them. And what I mean is when you have this brand, let's say it's Fritos or Pepsi or Equifax, when you're meeting with that brand and you're bringing them gaming and saying, look at this for your sponsorship rather than the Falcons, for instance, which I know that they happen to be sponsors down there, showing them they're not likely, those people are that are handling that deal are likely not even understanding gaming. You have to have a way to embed that experience and, and draw them into it in a way that showcases how it's going to draw other people in because it draws the eyeballs different than anything. And it's way better than hoping that someone saw your sign just by walking past it. Way better, way stickier way. I mean, the, the engagement and the depth of engagement is, and even the, the unique ways you can embed product into a game and an experience. I've seen some creative teams do some amazing things. And I think one of the ways that you you speak to them is doing the best you can to show snippets, kind of like a video, but showing mm-hmm. snippets of how you can embed that experience. That's my opinion. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you guys are taking a like a visual digital approach because you can't, I mean, I just was at a LAN event, you know, a, a little over a week ago with, with top brands that are Minnesota based that had never been to a LAN event before. And you're like, wow, how is this? 
brand that is like a global brand have they've not experienced a LAN event before, but until you see it, until you see it and you experience it and you see how fans are engaging with the product, right. In quotes, the product of esports, it's really hard to, to understand that. So I think, I think the video embed, I think the ability for people to like watch those memorable moments and feel the energy, even though it's a, a virtual energy is definitely a, a step in the right direction for people to, to really understand that the hyper engagement and fandom within the esports ecosystem is like being at a Falcons game or a, a Timberwolves game at, at the, you know, at, at the moment in which the Timberwolves are right now, I will just say for Monday, the 11th of April in 2022, the Timberwolves are killing it. Right. They yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, how it's do you, how do you articulate that, that, and, and you can't just on paper show the amount of energy that is in the, the esports arena, right? Like it really does take the ability to show and yeah. document through, yeah. through video or in real life. Cause not everybody can make it in real life to all the things, right? Yeah. Just show that energy. It's all about about these hyper engaged, we call them esports enthusiasts that are living and breathing this as their sport. Yeah. Right. So talk about why people like text or like FaceTiming more than they like a text message. You know, with the text message, things could get lost in transa- translation, tone, a lot of things where with the FaceTime, you can capture, you know, those emotions, you can mm-hmm. capture those tones. And that's what I think how we stand out amongst other products is that other things are just text messages, right? Yeah. It's hard to really explain exactly what it is. You you take your tone in that or how you're feeling, your attitude in that moment, and you're reading through that. So some yeah. things can get lost or mistranslated where what we provide is an actual experience to feel exactly what it is. So getting this close to, you know, I mean, those videos, you yeah. know, just the socials, just adding more than just that text element. So yeah. that's how in simple terms, that's how I think uh, we kind of help there is like, you know, let's get it out that text message and get on the phone. Yep. So you really understand. Yes, I love that. It's kind of like the power of TikTok versus Instagram. Like there's a place for Instagram, yeah. right? But TikTok is like that raw, authentic. It's just blown up so much. So b- before we started re- recording, Jeannie, you were asking, you were, you were like sharing some anecdotes on like, on games and gaming and, and what games you guys like, I'll, I'll let you kind of take it away and and share that context of the actual gaming experience. Yeah. Yeah. So we, Ronnie and I were talking right before we got on with Rebecca and we were laughing because when it comes to favorite games, like that was the question. So what's your favorite game? And so my favorite game is, it's a very old school arcade type game, Pac-Man. I love Pac-Man. I love the little bubbles. The little ghost comes along, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I love everything about it. Um, I also love Guitar Hero. There's something about getting lost in the music, but those are old school games. And so I was asking Ronnie, tell me about your favorite game. And I want you to share with them your favorite game. And then we had a question for you, Rebecca, about your favorite game. And do you, do you game now or do you follow gamers? What is more fun for you um, in that context? So, I'll let you start, Ronnie. Cool. So um, for me, I'm, I love basketball. I literally on all levels, I was literally watching um, grannies play basketball on Instagram the other day and thought it was the most amazing thing. It was super slow, but I just love basketball. So 2K um, is my favorite game. I played it since Dreamcast all the way up to the P5. Um, so you're very familiar, but for those, um, and I'm pretty sure everybody will be, but, um, she asked whether I play like a play now, whether that's, you know, the teams versus each other, or if I'm in the rec or pro-am with my, my player and it's both. I, (laughs) I love the game. So I'm a very player focused fan where I know players on pretty much every team. So I'll get online and I'll climb the ranks playing people and making 16 year olds quit and turn off their systems. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, The rage critters are hilarious and then you know hopping in um so i get on i have like the same group of 10 people sometimes we don't even play the game and we just talking crap to each other but will j 
jump in the wreck and we'll, you know, or the pro-am and we'll um, either play some randos or we'll play other organized teams. So um, we all wanted to know, does your player in the game have shoes as cool as you for have sure. in real life? There's, I, no There's no way. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I, because actually they have, and 2K is genius, they have what's called BC, which is their virtual currency. So they're partnered with all of these brands to where you're yeah. buying like you're buying skins. your money, you're buying their currency and you're buying that particular shoe in the game with nice. that currency. Uh, so you have access to a lot of different shoes and I know what I like. So I'm hooking my player up with not just shoes, with clothes, the like helmets, like oh it's gosh. insane how deep it gets with all the swag you can give your player. So that's funny. Sne- Sneakerhead strategies right there. <laughs> Yeah, I actually went and bought two pair of shoes that I had been giving my my player since I've been playing my player. So you bought you bought physical shoes based on your app, digital avatar. Well, that's a story the brands need to hear. <laughs> I mean, I love, I actually love shoes a little less than basketball, but. My mom, I used to sell chips, juice, candy, and homework, middle school through high school because my shoes got too big and my mom wasn't doing it anymore. So I've been following these for a while and then they put them on the game and I was like, it's kind of like my vision board. Like I'm going to see yeah, these yeah. every day. And yeah, one, yeah. When oh, I, get, I love you know, it. I love it. You, yeah. are, you, are brand, you are a brand story. I'm going to clip that out. I'm going to put that in every presentation I give to my clients. Sponsor um, me, Nike. <laughs> product placement um yeah so i grew up the youngest of of three kids growing up and then when my dad passed away my mom got remarried so there's seven total but i grew up the youngest of three kids in my immediate household uh, all the way growing up and it was you know it's i think it's like culturally it part of that generation you know being an 80s kid while santa claus gave us games (laughs) for Christmas as the family gift, it was an unwritten rule that those were for my brother, right? Ah. So I had a really hard time really leaning into playing video games because if if my brother Don Don and his friends came in the door, um, I had about four seconds to run as fast as I could before I got my ass beat or my hair flushed down the toilet or thrown into a compost pile on the farm. Like that was my childhood. That was like, I, I liked playing like old school Nintendo games right back in the day. I do like arcade games. Like joust is a pretty great arcade game, but I, in my adult life have passed the baton down to Sydney and Roman. So I don't really play video games. I also suck at basketball and I had a really great position in the NBA. So I understood in the, in the NBA, people ask me less about playing basketball. It's kind of funny. I have a deep understanding of the business of basketball Mm. in community, in fan engagement, in game ops, in sales, in marketing and branding communication strategy, PR. Like I understand the business of basketball. I understand the business of basketball with, with talent as well and what it means for them and in their own viable markets. Like in basketball, you're viable where you uh, grew up, where you went to college, if you did, and where you play in the moment and places you've played. So you can, you can coordinate camps and clinics and a bunch of different commerce strategies around viability in, in different market sets. So like the business of basketball, I have curated a pretty well-versed business of esports knowledge and business of gaming uh, knowledge in which I draw from to also help curate in multiple layers within the entire esports and gaming industry, sound strategy, go-to-market strategy, communication strategy, monetization strategy for brands, startups, tech companies, teams, orgs, players alike, really following the same learnings that I learned in basketball. But I don't game anymore. I do live in this quaint little beach house in Minnesota on on White Bear Lake. And the basement, which is a walkout to the lake, is what we call um, um, the Rocket League level. That's where Sydney, my daughter, who's 21, and her boyfriend, TJ, um, live and breathe uh, Rocket League on Xbox. And they're on Xbox Live playing Rocket League almost every single night. And then the main level, which is, uh, you know, Valorant town is where my son Roman sits in Valorant until two in the morning with his friends on the days he's with his dad a week with me a week. So the week's Roman's here. It's a lot of late night Valorant. There's a lot of screaming and shouting. And then, um, 
on I've got like a little coved, as you can see, a little coved ceiling here. The little um top 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 level is my bedroom, bathroom, and uh my little office space. And this is kind of like my level. And this is where the business of esports and gaming happens, right? I'm not gaming. If I've spent my time, and this is where I really justify things and, and I really think it's sound like if I spent all my time trying to understand every single game. Who's the best rising star in esports? Who's winning against who? What competition is happening? Who's at the top? I will distract myself from being the business mind that I have to be in order to inform strategy at such a broad level of this industry, right? So I I tried playing Pac-Man, Gene. I tried playing Pac-Man at majors too, they had a bunch of old school arcade games and I started getting so much anxiety. Like my hands were sweating. Yep. Like, I'm like, how the, this is that little ghost right behind so me. stressful. And I actually kind of like forgot that when you eat the little white I still wasn't even eating them. And then I like, like two levels in, I'm like, Oh, I can eat the ghosts. Like it was <laughs> like, I need to stop. Somebody can take over for me. Like, man, it's just a lot of work, but no, I have, a, I have such a high level of respect for the industry as a whole and a deep understanding of the industry as a whole. But I just don't, I don't even have any games on my phone. Like I'm not even a mobile, like mom gamer, which is just so, so counterculture for many other 44 year old women in the world. But yeah, I, I love games. I love the industry. I just have uh, retired my old school Nintendo. Nintendo. <laughs> my, my, the last gaming system I personally had that I played was like probably 1998, 1999, like a clear Game Boy with like little cartridge you pop in the top. Oh, yeah. I yeah. this oh. on that. Every single bus ride. When I, I lived downtown St. Paul, I worked downtown Minneapolis, which in the Twin Cities is you know, it's like a, a 20 minute bus ride. I would play that every, every morning and every night with my little, you know, ox cable earbuds in yep. that, was my, <laughs> that was my world. That's the last time I, I was like, actually could consider myself a gamer. It was, a, it was a long time ago that was like really, really into it, but I do have, you know, some built-in extreme subject matter expertise living underneath yeah. my yeah. Roof that I draw inspiration, knowledge, and data from day in and day out. They're my they're my secret weapons. I will definitely tell you that. You got to call it. your house the esport complex. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's most, I would tell you like you. This could be a content house, and so yep. many, like last night we've got like just kids just showed up after being at the skate park. Just start, they just they just walk in. The, they just walk in. It's crazy having um Sydney's boyfriend is 19, she's 21, Roman is 15, and they have their they have friends that range from you know 15 years old to in the early 20s. And this place is it's the spot, you know. It's fun. I don't mind it at all. They're the most respectful kids, they're so sweet and and, and wonderful, and uh they they don't take advantage of things in, a, in any type of a negative way. But yeah, I, I do have one of those houses that is very overwhelming. I have a, a friend of mine who doesn't have any kids and he's in his mid thirties. And he's like, your life is so exhausting to me. Like, you're, like I don't even know how you do it with the, the churning in your household. These kids constantly in and out. But it's just what it is. I love it. It's a really fun season of life i would say that that we're living in here rich experience yeah it's yeah. a flex to be the cool mom yeah. you know yeah. that you hang out at. <laughs> <laughs> i don't hang out with them i hide away but I mean, you I, hang out, they hang out at your spot they hang out of my spot well we have a lake house so you know it's the spot because we i mean i do know that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we live on a lake so it, it and we live like <laughs> on kind of a busier road with super easy access to get here. So kids just will drive by. And I actually have friends who drive by and they just pull in the driveway and like knock on the door during the day. They're like, we were driving by. Yeah. Right. Bonnie and I are coming. So we just decided we need a long weekend already. I will say 
her spot. I just don't know which one I'm gonna start. <laughs> I don't want to start with Rebecca on her floor, and then I'll yes. save okay, my way down. I'll get lost on the nasty floor. <laughs> it's cute. Sometimes I look and and Roman, there's stairs, there's stairs that come up, you know, like these steep little stairs, and sometimes he's just laying there, and I'm like do you need something? He's like, I like listening to you on meetings. Like, it's just so cute. Like, he's just a dog. <laughs> Summers in Minnesota cannot be beat. I will tell you, you want to get out of that Atlanta heat, come out here. It's just the most beautiful, serene experience of your entire life. Uh, people that live in Minnesota, it's because our summers are unparalleled. It's just absolutely God's country. It's gorgeous up here. So you are welcome anytime. Anytime. We'll take you up on that. We'll take yes. you up on that. <laughs> so if people that are listening to this podcast are wanting to learn more about iFolio, what do they do next? Oh, please. Uh, you can check us out either on social. So at iFolio or um, our website, uh, iFolio.cloud slash home. Um, yeah, lots of ways. Yeah, I-F-O-L-I-O. iFolio. Love it. Love it. Thanks, you guys, so much for coming on the show. I like this. I need more people like bringing like their A game duo to the table because this was. I had to bring my wingman. My first time having two guys. So I can bring Ollie for another one. (laughs) Yeah. Love, love, love. Thanks, guys, so much for being on the show. And, uh, uh, thanks for, uh, for chatting. We'll, we'll have to have a, a, a follow up conversation as well. Love it. Calm down. It's been so fun. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya. Bye.